Good morning. morning. Sitting here in this most amazing morning of late summer with all the windows open and the mist still hovering over the creek and the cicadas continuum and peep, peep. What are they called? Peepers? We heard a peeper or two. Okay. How many of you heard a peeper or two during the last sitting? Peep, 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 peep. Open to it all. This is Zazen. Open to it all. But how many times in the course of one period of Zazen do we really feel nothing in the way? Do we really feel that the windows are open? The windows of our awareness are open? Completely open. No screen. Not even the slightest filament of self-regard or self-absorption or self-concern or self-imprisonment or, you know, that very familiar state that we take for reality. Right? Yeah. How many times in the course of one Zazen period are our windows open? Anybody? Pardon? One half. One half of a sitting? One half of time? One half of a time. Anyone else? Did you experience a moment without time? This is really it, right? A moment without any sense of it being any particular second or counting ten breaths or one move or any of such skillful means that very rarely are skillful. (laughs) Not because of any fault of the skillful means, but because we're so inured 
to this being shut off, being shut away, being enshrouded, being encapsulated. However we want to speak of it, we all know that feeling of just somehow everything is out there, we think, maybe, but all we really can be sure of is our own separated individuality. This week, use this term because Diamond Sutra uses it over and over again, so it's kind of a good shorthand for what I'm talking about. So today, just recently, in fact, <clears throat> the last thing, the last thing we chanted was Hakurin Zenji's song of Zazen. And in it, we all joined him in saying, even those who have practiced it for just one sitting will see all their evil karma erased. What does this mean? Even those who have practiced it for just one sitting. So this is what we're talking about, right? Suddenly the windows are open. They've been open all along. But just one sitting means just this one sudden, oh yeah, cicadas. Of course it doesn't have to be cicadas, right? Of course I'm not suggesting that whatever month we're in has to be the month we're in. We're in whatever month we're in. We are in. And thus, of course, we know the famous verse, spring, myriad flowers, summer, beautiful. I don't know. Anyway, I can't remember the verse. But we go on through the seasons and moon, beautiful autumn moon, and winter snowflakes. But the point is, the last line. If useless things don't clutter your mind, every season is a good season. Every moment is open windows. Even when we have them shut tight and the baseboard heaters are going clank, 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 and we're all so thankful that we are doing zazen in this very industrialized nation where we have heat in the winter. And some of us have experienced no heat in the winter in Zazen. And it's different. (laughs) But the same. So just one sitting 
means. Just this moment of no, nothing closed down, all open. And earlier, we chanted in Bodhisattva's vow, after this whole passage about everybody's favorite passage about how we were abused and persecuted, right? (laughs) We can all relate. And then how really this persecution or abuse is just to, to really change our way of seeing it and to see that it is a device to emancipate us. Again, this use of the phrase sinful karma that has been produced and accumulated upon ourselves by what? Our own egoistic delusion and attachment. It's very, this is a really radical turn to see this, this way, to see our lives this way. Because most of the time, okay, it goes along with all this shut window mentality, Shut down mentality, most of the time, if we look at what's going on in the mind, heart, it's complaining and pointing fingers of accusation. Past, present, future, the whole enchilada is somehow no good. Right? Some problem we are suffering from is their fault. Usually past their fault, but often present their fault too. And we're pretty sure that it will be in the future. What else can we rely upon? That people are not going to do what we want them to do. Right? That's a given. (laughs) So this is what we mean by egoistic delusion and attachment through the countless cycles of kalpa, which is what I was just saying. Past. Okay, you may think kalpa began with your parents, but it goes back further. And present, the whole thing, and future also goes. Quite a large chunk of this half-time. Half-life. Half-lifetime. Speaking from, as our president says, nuclear perspective, half-life. We are living in a half-life without our windows open. So, then, next line, it says, then, in in each moment's flash of our thought, each moment's flash of our thought, So usually we see thought as the continual build-up, a kind of accretion of these layers of self-identity and egoistic delusion, right? The thinking that gets us into trouble when we're sitting, for example. This thought enchains us. 
to the next, the next thought and chains us. And we're very familiar with this pattern. So when we hear this line, then in each moment's flash of our thought will grow a lotus flower. Now, everybody knows what a lotus flower is, right? In Buddhist terms, lotus flower. And what comes out of this lotus flower? Huh? Buddha. Buddha. Which Buddha? Huh? Each moment's flash of our thought, there will grow a lotus flower and... Each lotus flower will reveal a Buddha. Which Buddha? Huh? Ah. Aya Buddha. (laughs) This is Jika's nephew. How old? Two. Two. So, you know, two-year-olds still understand this. Aya Buddha. Each moment's flash of our thought. This is very difficult for us to understand in a kind of intellectual way, right? Because, as I said before, the thoughts are linked together and they seem to be the very things that are entrapping us. But what if it's just thought? Like open window. Nothing added. No hook. Already Buddha. I've been thinking a lot about this karma. Often in our texts called sinful karma. And uh, as in Bodhisattva's vow. And in Song of Zazen, evil karma. We'll see all their evil karma erased. And all of us want our evil karma erased. And preferably right now. And this is the only way it can be erased, by the way. Right now. Open the windows. But in this issue of Tricycle, I have a little piece. But also, there's a longer article, an interview with Mathieu Ricard. Some of you may remember I read from the book that he wrote together with his father some time ago. Mathieu Ricard is a... um, 
Tibetan monk who trained in France as a molecular biologist and then traded in his lab coat for robes in Tibet in 1972. And he comes to New York fairly frequently, so they did this interview with him. And I was thinking about the ways in which people view karma when something bad happens. And this is very typical in the West that we think of it as a kind of um, punishment from everything we've read. And and so, you know, when untoward things happen in our lives, when we are practicing in Zen, and we have been practicing for some time, it's not at all experienced as punishment, but rather as something to look into. Something to open the windows to. I remember when Maureen was diagnosed with breast cancer, and she spoke of it after maybe a couple of years. She was still visiting various centers, including ours. And uh, she said, she spoke of it as, well, it's true, I have been diagnosed with some temporary indisposition. Just some temporary indisposition. Now, I think for most of us, when we get some diagnosis like this, it's like, Go away. Right? Mm -hmm. And this feeling of uh, horror and dread is really what pervades our culture. So much so that when anything untoward happens, we we really feel it's incumbent upon us to blame someone else, right? It's incumbent upon us to sue someone. This is, of course, part of our upside-down views, but it's also culturally, it's so ingrained because no one will take responsibility. Therefore, lawyers are thriving in lieu of someone taking responsibility and saying, I'm so sorry, and may I help you, and let me pay those bills. No. I'll get away. And then the insurance company calls. A lawyer calls. This is the way things go. And so we have this kind of brainwashing, like we can get out of it. We can really get out of it. And also... We can make sure that it's seen as or experienced as someone else's fault. Fling it away. So this is a very disturbing way to live. 
very disturbing, very unhealthy. And we start to see that when we sit for any length of time. We start to feel that. This is not what I want to live in. This is not this kind of closed down, barrier erecting way of living is not at all true reality. You know, um, there's a joke, I think, it's kind of based on reality, though, based on the fact. In um, Eskimo, Inuit culture, when someone gets really old, there's this saying, oh, just put them on the ice floe. Right? And so I was thinking about this. My mother is living in a retirement community in Florida. And she's one of the younger people at 86 or 87. And many of them seem kind of warehoused. They're kind of packed in there in their luxury apartments. And, um, you know, they have their meals provided and... Yet there's this kind of feeling of, well, it's very complex. I won't even get into it. But in any case, I was thinking, you know, I'd rather be put on an ice floe. Because when you're on an ice floe, in that culture, in Inuit culture, instead of thinking, oh, my children put me on an ice floe. I'm going to sue them. You're thinking, what is this? What is this dying? What is this experience of dying? What does this smell like? Taste like? What is the feeling of not eating anymore and just experiencing the coldness of the ice and the coming of this next experience called dying? This next experience called death. Of course, in other indigenous cultures, there is a different relationship to life and death. And certainly in our Buddhist understanding, the more we sit, the more we feel life, death, life, death. What's to ward off? Well, I got a little email from Anju and Vernon. I will get back to Matthew Ricard. Um, and this is a wonderful little essay written by Gabriel Garcia Marquez, who I'm sure most of you have read A Hundred Years of Solitude, yes? I hope so. Anyway, he's dying of cancer. And uh, supposedly this is his last message, his last email. It's been going through the entire Latin-speaking world, and now someone sent it here and translated it. So here are some of the things Marquez says. If for an instant God forgot that I'm but a rag doll and offered me a little more life, I wouldn't say everything I think, but I'd think everything I say. 
I value things not for what they're worth, but for what they mean. I'd listen when people speak, and I'd enjoy a good chocolate ice cream. If God offered me a little more life, I'd dress in a simple fashion, exposing not only my body, but bearing my soul for all to see. I'd water the roses with my tears to feel the pain of its thorns and the red kiss of its petals. Dear God, if I had a little more life, I wouldn't let a day go by without telling the people I love how much I love them. I'd tell every man and every woman that they're my favorite and I'd live in love with love. To a child, I'd give wings, but she'd have to learn to fly alone. To old men, I'd teach that death doesn't come with time, but with forgetfulness. I learned that a man is only entitled to look down on another when he is helping him up. Wonderful. Last words. So what are our last words? Right here. Right now. This Sazen practice of ours is really all about realizing that this moment with all the windows open is it. There's no such thing as next moment. That's a fiction. By living this way, this way means sitting down on the cushion, even when we don't want to, entering into the silence of this room and having these thought forms and emotions come in waves again and again and seeing them not as obstructions or impediments but as this very thought. This is a lotus flower just as it is. And then getting caught up again in all the crud. And then realizing, no, this is not a problem. I'm just seduced into thinking it should be a problem. This is evil karma. We don't have to. No. So we don't have to means we are free. Liberation. Buddha. Lotus flower unfolds. Already Buddha. But I did promise, so let me read something from this. A lot of people, this is Tricycle asking a question. Oh yes, first we have tea. A lot of people think of karma in terms of, what did I do to deserve this? Right? It implies a notion of fate or cosmic justice. You hear this all the time. Why am I sick? What did I do? 
Why have I lost my precious family member? What did I do? How come? And so to this question, Ricard says, this is a view that is inspired by the Judeo-Christian tradition. In Buddhism, there is no notion of an external entity judging our actions and bestowing punishment or reward. Okay, Tricycle says, then, what is the Buddhist view? And Ricard says, at each point in our lives, we are at a crossroads. Right here. Right here. This very thought. It's a crossroads. You can, he's not saying this, I'm saying this. You can choose to get enchained or... You can choose to let this Buddha of this thought go free. This is what we mean by Zazen. You're free to condemn yourself to misery. Completely free. But after a while, you get tired of it. And that's why we sit for a long time. There's no other way. I can't tell you, oh, you're a Buddha. Only you can feel that. I can remind you over and over and over and over and over. (laughs) So then Ricard says, we are the fruit of our past. This we all understand. We are here as a result of everything. And we are the architects of our future. That's a good way to look at it, right? We are the architects of our future. This is what I'm saying. At each moment, you can decide to just fall into the rut of business as usual on the cushion, which is to say you're nowhere here but somewhere else, or just open the windows and see. So then he continues, when we ask, why did this happen to me? It is because of our limited view. If we throw a stone up in the air and forget about it, when it falls down on our heads, we shouldn't complain Although we usually do. This is really karma. We've been throwing these stones up. Ouch, 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 it's your fault, I'm going to sue you. This is karma. So because of our reaction to the fact that we're now angry at others, that the stones hurt us, we're creating more throwing stones up. Right? Cannot but... And then he says, we have this notion that what happens to us is somehow independent of our own actions. We can ask, why did this happen? But the more important question is, what are we going to do about it? And this goes right back to, what are we doing here? What is Zazen? What is Buddhist practice? 
then he says something that I have told you numerous times, but once again, hearing someone and actually experiencing is different, but I'll say it in his terms. In terms of karma, it is important for us to understand that our human existence is itself the result of highly positive past actions. Here we are. We are the fruit of highly positive past actions. There's no way we could be here otherwise. I can just hear this, like, yeah, but. (laughs) I'm still suffering. Okay. (laughs) He continues, it didn't come out of nowhere. We have accumulated aspirations that cause us to be born as human beings so that we can use our suffering to motivate our desire for freedom. Isn't this the way it is? Really. Our suffering in the context of our practice is motivation to be liberated. When we say, no matter how innumerable all beings are, that means me too. I vow to liberate. I vow to save. This motivation comes out of understanding the Four Noble Truths, understanding what it is to suffer. This is really what we are practicing, how to understand our suffering and the world's suffering, and how to see what causes us to be so-called imprisoned and chained by it. So then what does he say here? That's why we say that human life is like one meal out of hundreds of days of starvation. Here we are having our meal. Are we tasting it? Let's see if he says something else interesting. Okay. So then Tricycle wants to know, is it a question of changing our perceptions? And he says, it's a question of purifying our perceptions. As you know, every time we do morning service and many other times in between, we recite purification. All the evil karma ever committed by me since of old, all these kalpas, on account of my beginningless greed, anger, and folly. In other words, on account of my not understanding the real nature of this moment. Born of my body, mouth, and thought, I now confess and purify them all. This word confess, it's so important that we can say immediately upon seeing some greedy or angry or foolish thing arising, I am being foolish or I am being greedy or I am being angry. 
to see it as something that I am doing that is polluting my own precious Buddha nature. No need. Stop right there. But stop right there means to be able to say, I truly, I regret. I regret this as it's happening. This means you can change it. This is changing your karma because nothing is fixed. Nothing. There's no such thing. You are not condemned by your karma. Your karma is something that you, right here, right now, can acknowledge and purify through regret. This is not the same as guilt, okay? Totally not. Guilt goes along with that whole thing about punishment. Forget about it. Don't need that. You had enough. You did all that. Time to drop it, drop it, drop it, drop it, drop it. No more guilt. Gone. Okay? I'll just read the last part of what he says. As we purify our vision, we come to see more precisely into the nature of interdependence, the emptiness of existence, that means nothing is fixed. Nothing is the way we see it right now as it is right this moment. Nothing, nothing, no substance is going to continue like this right now. It's gone. Gone. There is no thing that we can say is going to afflict us forever. It's already changed. What you don't like about yourself is already gone. Yeah. So he says, the emptiness of existence and the true nature of reality. That is pure vision. That is what will change the way we experience the world. So here we are, cultivating this mind of pure vision seeing things as they arise, the impediments as they seem to take this really thick and dense and impossible to change form and realizing they're empty. They're all empty. So what do we do? When we realize this, what do we do? So it's not an intellectual thing. We're not, you know, kind of, pondering this, but really we're sitting, we're sitting. So what do we do? No clue? What do we do? You can say it in any way, you know, it doesn't really matter. Moo is a good way. Moo. What do we do? Moo. What do we do? Nothing. Just nothing. Nothing. To have confidence in this nothing is so precious. Precious. This open window. 